So many of us would admit that our lives aren't perfect, but here we are trying to present our lives as perfect. I had people coming to me that I thought were living the dream and they were privately telling me that things weren't exactly as they seemed, that their lives were a mess. And honestly, the more that I looked at my own life, I could relate. We live such messy lives and for so many of us, even though we know who God is, in the middle of our darkest moments, we can feel like we're alienated from God or maybe even that we're angry at God. People are dealing with things like anxiety, depression, fear, insecurity, family issues, maybe that they're stuck in some sin, or maybe for some of us, those less serious things are more relatable. Our faith feels like it's apathetic or indifferent. We mess up from time to time and we feel like we need a little buffer period between our mess and when we come back to God. But what if we knew and what if we believed at the core of who we are that God doesn't just work around the messes in our lives and that he actually works in them? Your mess and my mess, it isn't freaking God out. Ultimately, God created man through the dust of the earth and he redeemed us through Christ's blood on the cross. He's been working through messes. And here's the thing, he's not about to stop with yours because your mess matters. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take about 30 minutes here and talk to you about why I believe relationships are really important because we're concluding a four-week series on Your Mess Matters. Have you enjoyed this series? Come on now, I mean, it's been... It's been awesome. Uh, the series is based off of the incredible book, Your Mess Matters, written by our very own Luke Lazan. He and his wife, Lindsay, attend our South Metro Atlanta campus. And uh, Luke is just a gifted writer and speaker. He kicked off week number one of this series. And uh, I hope that you've enjoyed, I hope you've enjoyed the series. I hope you picked up a copy of the book. Uh, we've got a few copies left, just a, just a handful left. I'd love for you to grab your copy today of the book. And, and I've told you this throughout the series, but it's not really been my, my attempt to preach the book because the book preaches itself. You know, it's been my heart, though, to make sure that we all know that in the middle of our mess, God is working behind the scenes and that in your mess, God can give you a message. Do you agree with that? Say amen. amen. And so as I read the advanced copy of the book, I knew I wanted to do the series and, and it's not an exhaustive read. I mean, it's 12 chapters long. And so each chapter is powerful and significant as we unpack the mess that some of us find ourselves in. But when I got to chapter number five, it really just uh, did something in my heart. Luke, Luke titled chapter five of this 12 chapter book this. He said, you cannot win the war on your own. And man, when I read that and I began to unpack chapter five, like I recognize that through every challenge I've ever been in in my life, every mess that I've ever experienced in my life, on the other side of that, as I persevered through the process, there was great victory, but I didn't find the victory by myself. Here's what I want to do, both locations. On the count of three, I want you to say this phrase with me, but I want you to make it personal, and I want you to say, I cannot win the war on my own, or I can't win the war on my own. One, two, three. I can't win the war on my own. Do it, do it like you mean it. Ready? One, two, three. I can't win the war. Then why are you trying? Because you, know, you know this is true. Now, when I, when I read this chapter, two truths jumped out in my head and in my heart. Number one is this, we are in a war. 
Come on. We're all in a battle. We're all in a war. Now, you may not be in a physical war, but there is a war for your soul. John 10, 10 says that the enemy comes with one objective, one purpose, one, one primary responsibility. And that, that's, to, that's to throw you into the middle of a war. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The apostle Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 6, he said this. He said, look, let's not get it twisted. Our, our struggle, our war, our mess is not against flesh and blood. We make it about flesh and blood. We argue with our spouse or our parents or our crazy cousins. Come on, somebody. Like, like the battle is with them, but at the end of the day, the fight is against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And you know this, but let me just encourage you for a minute that you are in a war, but greater is he on the inside of you than he that's in the world. Yeah, the second truth that really jumped out in my heart about this, this idea that you can't win the war on your own is that God never intended for you to fight alone. You can, but why would you? Listen, I, I, I could tell you a story, but I told you I was going to preach shorter, so I, I'm not going to give you a ton of my personal stories today, but, but I, I remember the first fight I ever got into. Come on, how many of you remember the first... Now, this is like B.C., before Christ. Come on, somebody. I got into a fight, and, uh, and they, they called me out, and it sounded like this. Meet me on the playground. I was like, all, all right, you want to throw it down on the playground. So I brought like seven of my closest friends. Come on, somebody. It's like I'm rolling deep, you know. I didn't want to go into that fight by myself, and, and spiritually, I think that we try to, to wade through the mess or wade through the storm or walk through the challenge alone. God never intended for you to fight alone, but yet we feel like we have to. Uh, the wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon, he gave us this truth. He said, two are better than one. Every single person should have shouted by faith right there. Like, yeah. Yeah, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But watch this. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. I, I have experienced both sides of this equation. I've experienced falling and having people to pick me up. And then I've also experienced the pitfalls where I felt alone because I had rejected those who really just wanted to help me. So here's what I want to do today. I want to give you three stories from the Bible, which means they are absolutely 100% true. Come on, somebody. Oh, give me a better amen than that. Like, you know, your Bible's true, right? It's full of life and hope. I'm going to give you three stories from the Bible, and these three stories will help this conversation unfold to show you three reasons that I believe right relationships matter. There's a big difference between right relationships and wrong relationships. And I'm just going to give you real quick three reasons why I believe right relationships matter. Everybody, both locations, find something to write with because I want you to take some notes. Here's number one. Right relationships matter because when you get tired, they'll be there to hold you up. Now, I know what so many of us think. When we come into the faith, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, from out of the gate in this faith walk, somewhere in our mind and in our spirit, we have this thought that our faith will never waver. 
that will never doubt God, that will never, will never question God. And in the beginning, we, we say something like, God, no, no matter what, I'm going to trust you with all that I am because I'm giving you all that I am. And we think in our minds and in our heart that 365, 24, 7, we will have this unmatched faith and, and we'll, never, we'll never grow tired in our walk with Christ. While that's a great kind of uh, desire or goal to have, there's one problem with this. And the problem is, is that you're a human being. And challenges come and messes come and storms come. And there is a moment for many of us where that faith feels low. If you look at your spiritual tank, it's like in your car, you got a, you got a, you got a gas tank and some of y'all are real good at, at trying to see and press how far that needle can get to empty. Come on now. If you didn't get anything out of this sermon, it's this. Get you some gas on the way home. Come on, somebody. You know, and, and I love my father-in-law, but he created this culture, you know, with his girls that he'd always fill up their tank with gas. And so Kimberly will text me and be like, hey, I need to get gas. And I'm like, baby, you, it took you longer to text me. You need gas in the pool in Kroger and get the gas yourself. But anyway, we're going to get the gas filled up in the tank. I just needed that therapeutic moment. Thank you so much. Get you some gas. <laughs> My God. But, but in our spiritual lives, our spiritual tank, our faith tank can start to run low. When storms come, when messes come, we start to feel a little fatigued and frustrated. And, and watch this. There comes a moment where we want to throw in the towel. Man, God, you didn't answer my prayer on my timeline. You didn't respond the way I thought you should according to my plan that I've obviously laid out for me. And so when, when we get tired, when we get fatigued, what happens? This is, when, this is when you need right relationships to be there to encourage you and to pray for you and to lift you up and to say, come on, listen, I know it's tough right now, but you got to keep on keeping on. Wrong relationships would be like, yeah, you ought to quit. You ought to give up. You ought to walk away. We got a lot of, we got a lot of Christians that walked away from the faith because they had wrong relationships that when they got tired, the wrong relationship said, yep, God didn't do what he said he would do. But we need the right people that when we feel low, they can lift us up. I wish I had somebody helping me preach today. Uh, let me give you a Bible story here. So, so God tapped Moses on the shoulder to lead the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. Hundreds of thousands of slaves the children of Israel were. And God says to Moses, you're going to lead them out. Moses makes this exodus, this mass exodus. It's why the book is called Exodus. And he's leading them towards their promised land. And along the way, they're, they're seeing miracle signs and wonders happen. I mean, God's parting Red Sea and water's coming from rocks and all of these things. But the enemy is after them. And at this particular point in Exodus 17, the Bible says that the, the Amalekites, who are distant relatives of the termites, come on, somebody. That's funny. That the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites. And so Moses said to Joshua, if you haven't picked up, this is the first story that I wanted to share. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. He's already saying, now don't go alone. Take some people with you. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. God used that staff. God used that staff in the hands of Moses to turn it into a snake and then to turn it back into a staff. He used that staff to draw water from that rock. He used that staff to part the Red Sea. And he said, I'm going to take 
this staff with me. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And watch this. As long as Moses' hands were held up, the Israelites were winning. But any time that Moses lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. So when, and I love this, this makes the whole point just kind of come home for us. When Moses' hands grew tired, Aaron and her, they took a stone and they put it under Moses so that Moses could sit down because he's human. He's human. And Aaron and her, they held his hands up. Now, I know what you're thinking. How is this supernatural? It is because some of you have tried in 2020 to go back to the gym and get in shape. And you know how it felt when you were supposed to hold your hands up with them weights. Them triceps were burning, baby. Come on, be honest. That's why you've already quit going back to the gym. (laughs) You should go home today and be like, let's see how long I can just hold my hands up. You know, when the preacher says, all right, everybody lift up your hands. And then he forgets to tell you to put them down. Arms are burning because we're human and his hands grew tired. So Aaron and her, this is what they do. And I want you to get the visual. One stood on the left, one stood on the right. And every time they saw their leader fatigued, they would help with their own strength to lift up his hands and watch what happened. And Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. I'm I'm telling you this, watch. And in the book, Luke writes these words and it just did something in my heart. He says, if you want to win small battles, you fight alone. But if you, if you want to win the war, you got to fight together. Come on, somebody. You need, listen to me, you need people in your life that are encouraging you and lifting you up when you feel like you can't press forward. Because on the other side, there is a promise and there is a payoff. And I know you feel tired. I know you feel like quitting. I know you don't feel like praying. I know there are days you don't feel like reading your Bible. I know there are moments that you don't want to worship God. That's when you need people in your life to say, come on, you keep pressing towards the prize. Can I get 257 and a half people Come on. So here's the question. When you get tired, who do you have to hold you up? And I got three, I got three, oh man, I'm going to get emotional. I got three guys in my life. Three guys in my life. They're all pastors and my best friends. Brother, brothers. Come on, you, you've got people like that, I hope. Um, I'm, this has nothing to do with bragging. It's just that God's honest truth. Like during the fast, I text him. I was like, I ain't going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I'm tired. I'm hangry. Come on, somebody. Well, I'm, I'm not going to make it. And you know what they text back? Get you a cheeseburger. Grab you a milkshake. You know, stop, stop getting up at 4.30 a.m. to be at the church at 6 a.m. Just sleep in a little bit. Hit the snooze button. You deserve it. You made it 12 days. What's 21? It's just 12 backwards. Just stop now. No, no, that's not what they said. No, when I text them, they, all of them text me back, called me and said, hey, Jason, you keep on, man. You keep on. Now use wisdom in the process, but you keep praying until you have no more words to say. You keep fasting until God says stop. And thank God he told me to stop on day 21. Come on, somebody. They said, JC, you, you can do this. Greater is he on the inside of you than he that's in the world. Don't you? One of them said, don't you give up now. 
Don't you stop now. He said, you've come too far to quit now. And I think you need some people in your life that when you get tired, when it feels overwhelming, they don't tear you down, they build you up. Come on and give Jesus some thanks. Come on. Let's take 10 seconds to just love the Lord. Come on right here. You need some people in your life. You need, you need the right friends in your life that when you get tired, man, they're going to hold your arms up. I don't want to go to church. And they, and they say, that, that's not a good enough answer. I'm coming by Sunday morning. You're getting in my car. We're going to church together. I don't feel like praying. Well, that ain't good enough. And they pick up the phone and they call and they pray with you. You need people that when you cry, they cry along with you. When you, when you laugh, they laugh with you. Man, don't you get you a bunch of depressed friends that when you're depressed, like, hell oh, yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> We're saying to, I got to hurry. There ain't no way I'm going to preach short today. Worst thing you can do when you're going through a messy season is hang around with some messy folks. Turn you on some country music. Just end it all. End, yeah. You, you ever played a country song backwards? You get your dog back, your trailer back, your wife back. <laughs> oh, God, I'm sorry, Lord. I don't, why am I apologizing to the Lord? He don't listen to country music. Here's the second reason I think right relationships matter, because they will take you where you cannot take yourself. Woo, I'm about to preach this one. Hey, God, God wants to take you places in your life that you cannot get there on your own. You can't get there by yourself. Let me show you a picture here real quick. Uh, you've seen this picture before. Now, now the, the, the context behind this particular picture is some, some uh, politically motivated, uh, you know, content, but I think that there's some great spiritual truth in this. But this turtle got on top of that fence post, not by his own ability. Somebody put him there. And this turtle has now experienced new heights and new levels. He saw the world from a different lens on that day, baby. Come on, somebody. Because somebody helped him get to where he could never get on his own. Now watch this. Here's, here's the second part. Because once you get up there, you think, I know what he was saying. I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. No, no. And then he's saying, now how am I going to get down? Watch this. Because if you want to get down safely, Somebody else is going to have to come help you get to where you cannot take yourself to. I got to hurry, but I want to say something because this is really important. I look at my life, almost 40 years old, and all that God has done in my life, the highs and the lows, but man, look, I told Kimberly the other day, I said, man, can you believe that we get to do this? I would be one arrogant jerk if I said, I did this. I did it. Now, let me tell you, um, I had a mama that was a single mom that worked a lot of jobs to help me get to college. That when I was in college, I'll never forget it, she wrote me a card with $1 in the card, and it was tear-stained. That's all the money she had. She said, I don't know if it'll help, but get you like 17 ramen noodles or something, buddy. 
You can get like 17 ramen noodles for a dollar. Come on now. Then I met Kimberly. Thank God. Thank God for you. And as I dated Kimberly, I realized what kind of woman I was getting. But I had no idea the type of family I was about to marry into. Um, they hired me as a youth pastor. No experience. And I think they did it because they knew we'd be broke. Come on, somebody. He was like, my God, if we don't help them. I still don't even know if my father-in-law loves me, but I love you, man. Gave me my youth pastor job. And then we said, hey, we want to move to, to Maryland and start a church. And you know what he said? I'm going to help you. My mother-in-law, I'm going to help you. My mom, I'm going to help you. They sacrificed their own money. Um, and then he said, hey, I think my time is done. I want you to come and take over what I've invested 33 years of my life into. Listen to me. We talked about this yesterday because he's got a birthday coming up. And, you know, at his age, these are really, really special. <laughs> I love you. I'm talking about it yesterday. I said, man, I said, every success that we've had and every success that we will have is because I'm standing on your shoulders. Look around this room, both locations. I want you to do this. Look at the diversity of people. Look at the diversity of generations. <laughs> I don't know what other churches look like because I'm always here. I'm always here. But I don't think this is normal. I really don't. And I didn't do any of it. God, God did this through the sacrifice of people that paved the way that I didn't have to pave myself. And listen to me, whatever success you have in life is because people have helped you to get there. You don't, you don't get to where God wants to take you on your own. You need to connect to some people that can help you get to your promise because you don't have the strength to get to the promise by yourself. I'm preaching better than you're helping me right now. Come on. I am who I am because people believed in me when I didn't believe in me. Uh, Mark chapter 1, Jesus is leaving Galilee. And in Galilee, uh, miracle signs and wonders happen. And by, by Mark chapter 2, the fame of Jesus had reached a feverish pitch. Everywhere that Jesus went, the crowds followed in masses. Uh, they, they leaned into every word that he uttered from his mouth. And in Mark chapter one, the last few verses talk about how he went from synagogue, synagogue to synagogue, preaching the, the truth and how he cast out demons. And at the very end of Mark chapter one, uh, a man filled with leprosy comes to him and by a spoken word, he's healed and he's made clean. And Jesus says, now don't, don't tell nobody. When you get a supernatural, God-given ordained miracle from heaven, you gonna tell somebody. And this man went back and began to tell everybody. So by Mark chapter 2, Jesus now goes to Capernaum and everybody follows. Everybody knows that Jesus is in town. They heard that Jesus had come and watch. Jesus is going to have a sermon. He's going to preach in a house. And the large numbers were so great that there was no room left. Not, not even room outside of the door. And Jesus preached the word to them. Watch this. And some men came bringing to Jesus a paralyzed man. And this paralyzed man, listen to me, who could not walk. He could not get to where he needed to be by his own strength. So four guys, four guys said, I'll sacrifice my time, 
my resources, my energy. You can interrupt my schedule because I believe if you can get to the right place, are you hearing what I'm saying? Then the miracle can happen. And they, they, they get there and then they realize we can't even get you in. There's no room. Some of y'all have friends like this that at this point they'd be like, hey, I'm out. I'm out. I tried. Not these guys. No, they assessed the situation. They took out their iPhone, got on Google. How to dig a hole in a roof. <laughs> Climbed up on top of the roof and they start digging. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus, digging through it. And then watch. And they lowered the mat that the man was lying on. Luke said this in his book. Watch. When you can't get through the door, friends lower you through the roof. Come on, somebody. And this is what you need. You need people in your life that will help you get to where you cannot take you. These guys were, I hope, I hope this homeowner had State Farm insurance. Come on, somebody, because now there is a hole in his roof. But they were willing to do whatever needed to be done to get this man to where he needed to be. Let me say it to you like this. So many of you are right on the brink of your breakthrough, but you need the faith of others to help you actually break through. Watch verse number five. When Jesus saw their faith, woo, not the faith of the man that had the need. Jesus was moved with compassion because of the faith of these men. He said, now your sins are forgiven. I'm going to ask you this question. This is so powerful, and I don't want you to miss this. Watch. Uh, are you ready? I'm trying to just see if you're just ready to see what I'm about to say. Who will lower you down instead of let you down? Listen to me. You've learned this and I've learned this. A lot of people have let me down. A lot of promises made. They never came through. A lot of people said they would and they never did. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I've been let down. You've been let down. And some of that pain I've invited in my own life. Here's what I've learned. Watch. Write this down. It's not on the TV, but right people equals right places. Wrong people equals wrong places. I've been let down too much. I'm done having relationships with people that continue to let me down. I'm looking for people that will lower me down. That will help me get to the place that I can't get in my own strength. Am I talking to anybody today? You need some people in your life that they see that you have a need and they're willing to sacrifice their own time, energy, strength, resources, etc. to help you get to where you need to be. Enough with the relationships of being disappointed and left with the feeling of anxiety and frustration. Surround yourself with people that will be willing to break through a roof if it meant you got your miracle. That's real friendship. Last one is this, and I got to move real fast. I think right relationships matter because isolation is a dangerous, dangerous destination. The enemy loves when you get alone. Come on, when you're by yourself, because that's when the enemy begins to lie. That's why the parable of the lost sheep is so powerful to me, because Jesus says, if I, if I don't leave the 99 and go after the one, the one on his own won't be able to rescue himself, won't be able to save himself because there's something about the pack. There's something about the covering. There's something about the accountability of the group. And you know this, when you, when you try to survive on your own, when you mess up, and we do, 
Romans 3.23, we've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. And we get by ourselves. It's in that by ourself place that the enemy says, you're a loser. Good for nothing, never amount to anything. No one's there to encourage you, to tell you, hey, yeah, you're an idiot, but we've all been there. Let me help you get up. We're going to keep moving forward. No, it's in, the, it's in the isolation that the enemy says, nobody loves you, nobody cares about you. No, no, nobody believes in you. Um, this may not be 100% accurate, but I felt this thought. I would say that all of suicides are done in isolation. There's probably a rare case where someone watched, but you get alone and it's dangerous because there the enemy says, take your life, take it. I'm going to show you a character comparison real quick. It's Simon Peter versus Judas Iscariot. I want you to see the contrast in uh, the outcome of their sin because both of them sinned. Go with me to Luke 22. I'm going to do this really fast. Watch. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you're going to deny me three times that you know me. Before the rooster cock-a-doodle-doo, you're going to deny me three times. All right? Now watch this. 13 verses later, Luke 22, 47 and verse 48. While he was still speaking, the crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, and watch this. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Let me tell you what Bishop T.D. Jake says. Just because they kiss you doesn't mean they love you. You better get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Oh, get ready. It's my best T.D. Jake's impression right there. You're going to betray me with a kiss? Watch this. Peterson was denial. At one point, sitting around a fire, a young girl says, aren't, aren't you one of them? And the Bible says that Peter cussed at her or cursed her. He denied the Lord three times. Judas's sin was betrayal. He sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. These are both sin. The biggest difference is only one of them got paid. But watch the universally different outcome in their life. Acts chapter 2, we, can, we consider it the birthday of the church. It's the day of Pentecost. And watch, Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and he addressed the crowd. Uh, at this point, Peter has returned to the group. He went back to the covering. He went back to the band of brothers. He went back to the people that believed in him. Even in his mess, even in his sin, he returned back to the 11. And on the day of Pentecost, after they have the upper room experience where the Holy Spirit shows up, Peter comes out of the room. He stands on the balcony of a two-story apartment building. He says, hey, I know it's only 9 a.m., but we're not drunk with wine. No, no, no. We're drunk with the Holy Spirit. I wish you'd help me preach. And Peter gives this bold sermon. And the Bible says that 3,000 people got saved and baptized. And watch. And ever since then, Christ has been adding to the church every day. Peter goes back to the group. But watch this one. Matthew 27. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how they were going to have Jesus executed. So they bound him and they led him away and handed him over to Pilate, who served as a governor in that time. And when Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized, uh, he, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders and watch. I've sinned, for I've betrayed an innocent blood. 
And they said, what's that to us? That's on you. And watch what happens. And G Judas threw the money into the temple and he left and he went and he hanged himself. Watch real quick. Peter denied the Lord. Judas betrayed the Lord. The difference is one returned to the group. One ran from it. And the enemy loves when you get isolated. I got to say this and I'll be done. You need to be in church this year. Man, we're working hard to love on our internet campus, but you, you cannot replace internet with intimacy. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I know what some of you are thinking. Well, I, I ain't going to church. Bunch of hypocrites. You've heard me say this before. Go church is not full of hypocrites. We always got room for one more. Come on, somebody. We're all messed up. We all got stuff, but we need each other. We are better together. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You got to do life together. Love one another. Build each other up. Pray for each other. Encourage each other in the faith. So the question is this. Will you run from the group? I can handle it on my own. No, you can't, sir. You cannot swallow your pride. You can't handle it on your own. How do you know? Because I've tried. And I ran for years and years and years. My life changed, though, when I ran towards the group. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Come on, both locations. This is the question of the day. The musicians are coming. Your campus pastors will give you next steps and talk to you specifically about groups. Will you run from the group? Or will you run towards it? Don't do life alone. Come on, take a moment. Just talk to Jesus. Thank you, Lord.